What a song. Depth of mercy. Can there still be mercy sufficient and reserved for me? Let's join together in a word of prayer. Father, I want to thank you for your loving kindness that is better than life. I thank you that you are God with a multitude of tender mercies. I thank you that you're a God of loving kindness. That you're a God who dispenses grace and that forgives and separates us from sin as far as the east is from the west. Father, we have been praising you all week for your wisdom and for your providence and sovereignty. We've been praising you for your greatness and for the attributes that you display to us and that you have revealed to us in your word. And Father, as we come into your presence and we approach the throne of grace and we get a clearer view, a more intentional view of who you are, the same light that shows forth your glory shines on us and shows us our weakness and our failing. Not in order that we can walk around depressed or we can walk around with some sort of sense of impending doom or failure, but with the promise that you cleanse us, that the very righteousness of Christ you give to us and attribute to our account, that we can be clean, that we can be washed, that we can be whiter than snow, that we can hear joy and gladness and the stresses, the bones that you have broken can be healed and we can be effective in witnessing. We can be effective in showing forth your glory. We can be effective as we are intimate with you and nothing is hampering that intimacy. And so, Father, we come together this morning in confession. Help us to understand what repentance is. I pray that through your word, through the example of David, through the moving of your Holy Spirit in our lives, that we'll understand the need that we have to continually, as a way of life, approach the throne of grace in humility, seeking mercy and finding it, asking for forgiveness and being cleansed, being transformed in our thinking, in our attitudes, being transformed in our behaviors and our actions, empowered by your Spirit within us. I am grateful, Father, that with you, failure is never final. That you make a way, a consistent way, a continual way, an unfailing way for us to walk in victory, for us to walk in holiness and purity and righteousness, for us to show a world that desperately needs to see what that looks like, what it looks like in our lives as we face circumstances and situations, as we live in this country, as we deal with the job situations that we have, as there's uh, the social issues that we face, the, the pandemic that we are walking through and the responses to that. Father, I pray that you will keep us close to you, that we may indeed ourselves be vessels of honor fit for the master's use, that we may point people to you in every circumstance. And in every situation, and so, Father, we come confessing our failures. We come acknowledging our, that we stumble. And we come acknowledging our own rebellion, the rebellious attitudes of our own heart. And I pray that today that you will indeed search us and try us. I know that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And I know that we can be deceived ourselves and in ourselves, of ourselves, by ourselves. I know that we can be deceived by others. I know that we get into this group think mentality sometimes where we think we're just like everybody else and that's good enough. And so I pray, Father, that you'll just kind of unveil the reality of our own heart today. 
in order that we might experience the cleansing that you so richly promise. In your name I pray. Amen. Isn't God good? Oh, let's do that again. Isn't God good? Now, I don't know if this is accurate. Awesome. I'm really hot up here on the mic. It's echoing in my ears. I don't know if it's supposed to or not. But uh, that's okay. We might keep the crowd awake this morning. Now, we're glad you guys are here. And, and we're studying a really difficult topic. And I will tell you that a lot of times when we talk about it, I'm going to walk. A lot of times when we talk about confession and repentance, our mindset is to point to those guys over there who need to confess and repent. You guys, you can relate to that. Because we talk about the sin of a nation, the sin of a country. We talk about churches that have lost their way. We talk about a society that has left a morality that we were established on we, and that God's Word clearly teaches is truth. And we talk about all these things and it's always they and them and those. And this morning, I'm going to let you prayerfully by the power of the Holy Spirit go through what God's been taking me through and ask God to search your heart. He has been pointing the finger at me. And I want you to stop this morning and not apply this to anybody else except the person sitting in your chair. Because this is really important that we grasp and understand. Sometimes we think about repentance and we think about confession and we think about big sins. As a matter of fact, we're going to be taking our text from Psalm 51, the 51st Psalm. And it is the Psalm of Repentance that David wrote following his egregious, nasty, horrible sin, the sin of adultery, the sin of murder, and how he sought to hide that sin until he was confronted. But when he was confronted, he sought to excuse it, to rationalize it. But when he was confronted, David was not only a great sinner. I want you to know he was a friend of God. He was a great repenter. He was one that turned his mind and his heart to Christ. And so, as we've been going through this prayer emphasis, we've been talking about P-R-A-Y as a means for us to establish patterns in our life of prayer. We begin by praise, but we always move to repentance. We always move to cleanse me, search me, show me. Father, what do I need to be right? What do I need to have forgiven? What do I need to change in order to be right with you? And then we move into Petition, And there are all kinds of scriptures and instructions about petition. And we're going to talk about that as we go through the next few weeks. But this morning, we're going to talk about our need for continual refresh, uh, confession. You guys know that you have three cooperating adversaries in the Christian life. Are you aware of that? You have three cooperating adversaries in the Christian life. The Bible frequently lumps them together. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Our very environment, we live in a fallen world, and there is a God of this world, we'll get to him in just a minute, who has shaped the philosophies of this world, and we live in a world that is under the curse, and so the world itself is a continual temptation to sin, or a a continual environment that pulls us away from intimacy with God. And it's not enough that you're in the world, you have your own flesh, you see, you have been made alive in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have become new, but you still have desires of the flesh. You still have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, those hungers and desires and appetites that we are familiar with, inundated with. We've gotten it from the world. We've gotten it from being born of Adam and Eve, if you will. And and so when we come to Christ, those no longer have power over us, but they still have influence over us. They still are like 
fishing, they're still lure for the fish. Now there's a hook, we'll get to the hook in a minute, but we've got the world and the flesh, and then you know that there's the devil, and he's not made up, and he's not believing, he's not make-believe, he's not uh, red with horns and a pitchfork. Matter of fact, he looks like an angel. Now, I'll tell you what he looks like. He looks like a box of chocolates. What does the devil look like? What do you like? What pleases you? What satisfies you? The devil smells like fresh baked cookies. Are y'all hungry yet? And the devil is attractive. He knows those things that will lure your heart and hook you. And what he wants to do is disrupt your fellowship with God. We've got the world, the flesh, and the devil cooperating together. All that serve is continual temptation. And here's the good news. We don't have to succumb to that temptation. Now, too often we do. Too often we do. And when we do, we need to know how to deal with it. And so I I do want to make this clear. When we're talking about pursuing righteousness, this is not saying that you can be and must be, starting now, sinless. What does it mean? It means that you must begin the habit and the practices that God commands us to put into our life, depending upon Him, so that we may be sinning less. Does that make sense? So this is not some standard, and you say, I can't reach that standard, so I just quit. This is... I'm, I'm taking steps every day, drawing closer to God. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day I'm getting closer. Every day I'm focusing my mind, my heart, my attention. Every day I'm giving up and getting, letting go, putting to death. This is the biblical word, Colossians chapter 3. Every day I'm mortifying the deeds of the flesh more. Every day I'm walking after the Spirit more. Every day I'm dying to self more. Every day I'm becoming alive and more yielded and submitted to the Spirit more. And yet the temptation of the world, the temptation of my own flesh, the temptation of the devil, is continually drawing me to not be yielded, drawing me to sin, not only to be overtaken in a snare. I want you to know that there are, the, there are those times when you just get overtaken. You just get overtaken in a snare. It's not to say you're not culpable, because we have a way of escape. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful and just, who will, with the temptation, make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. But there are times where we are overtaken. But i got to tell you, sometimes we're just willful. You guys know what willful means? Have you ever seen or interacted with someone else's strong-willed child? Because I know none of us ever have any, right? Where they look you in the face and they defy you and they say, no. How many times does God look at us and say, here's my word, here's my command, here's what I've called you to do, here's what I've called you to be. And we look him in the face and we just say no. We need to be cautious about what that means in our lives. We need to own our own rebellion. Okay? All right. Um, that was scripture being read, in case you're wondering what all that was about. And it's really hard for me to complain about scripture being read in church. <laughs> and I'm not going to, so that's, that's a good thing, not a problem at all. Let, let me do mention something to you really quick, though. And I, 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 There's so much here. There's, there's so much here. This is about walking in intimacy with God every day. And you know, it's okay for us to think about this here, but what about two hours ago? What about four hours from now? What about Monday when we show up at the job? What about this, that, or the other that happens in our life? Uh, What happens during those times? 
We can walk with God in intimacy every day. But when we succumb to sin, when we allow ourselves to remove and distance ourselves from God by our own willfulness or waywardness, the wages of sin is what? Interact. The wages of sin is... And, yeah, and you're right, you shouldn't say that like it's a good thing. Because it's a horrible thing. And death in the scriptures denotes several different things. The word death, when it's used, particularly in the consequence of sin, it denotes, first of all, death, destruction. If you've never been made new in the Lord Jesus Christ and never had your sins forgiven and applied to Christ on the cross, if you have never been made new by God, then your eternal future is spiritual death and separation from God. But for those of us who are believers, for those of us who walk with Christ... Sometimes, another kind of definition of sin, if you will, or implication of the consequence of sin is simply damage. It's damage. Galatians chapter 6 verse 8 says, The one who sows to his own flesh will from the, from the flesh reap corruption. Again, the same concept here. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Not only is it destruction for those who are apart from Christ, but you guys know, that sin can damage your life. By the way, God gives us commands and righteousness, those sorts of things, not to punish us, not because He's mean, but because He loves us. He's our Creator. He knows what is right and what is best. He knows what is good and is holy. And it is a loving God who sets boundaries, who gives direction, and who disciplines His children. Amen? Are you with me? Stay with me. This is, this is good. Again, this is going to be kind of a, a tough process for us to go through, but I want you to go through it with me. It's important that we recognize that there are consequences when we are not continually readjusting our course to be in alignment with God. When we're not constantly checking in with the navigator, if you will. We're talking about being on a journey to make sure that we're on the right path. The Bible calls us to live lives that are pleasing to God. You see it again and again and again throughout Scripture. And when we head another direction there's damage but there's also discontent romans chapter 8 says for to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life he is life and peace when you're in rebellion there's always that sense and knowledge that you're in rebellion there's this discontent there's this uh, even guilt that we can carry that we can live under that we do acclimate ourselves to and again, what that leads to is displeasing God. Is it possible for you to bring grief to the heart of God? It is. You mean your sin? My sin? That attitude, that word, that thought, that statement, that behavior can grieve the very heart of God? Yes, obviously it is. You guys know as we were going through Genesis chapter 6 last weekend in our daily Bible reading. What was taking place in Genesis chapter 6? Do you remember? Didn't know there was going to be a test, did you? The people of earth had turned away from God and everyone was wicked and engaged in sin fully. And the Bible says that God was grieved. He looked out upon mankind and He was grieved. We're commanded in the New Testament to not grieve the Holy Spirit. And that's through pride. But the last thing, and this is the really kind of the issue that we're focusing on, and I know that this is just the introduction, but hold on, we're going to go fast. This is important. And that is that when we live without 
the practice of confession and repentance in our lives. It creates distance in our relationship with God. There's a lack of loss of intimacy. Fellowship is broken. Walking dependent upon Him is broken. This week we're going to take five days to pray and ask God to forgive us. And we divided this up in categories as we've gone through this. And the first thing that we're going to ask God to forgive us for is having wrong priorities. And then we're going to move to those times when we have neglected or continue to neglect God's Word. We're going to ask God to search our hearts and show us our own pride and to forgive us for the sin of pride that keeps us from dependence upon Him. We're going to ask God God to search us and to convict us of unforgiveness and holding grudges and deep-seated anger that we've not been able to let go so that we can let those go, being the recipients of grace, extend grace by the power of God. And then Friday we're going to be praying about the sin of materialism. We love our stuff, but how much do we love our stuff? Everything that we have is good. It's a gift from God. The question is about our possessions. Does God possess us more than our possessions do? Does He evoke in us more affection, more attention than the things that we possess? And so we're going to look at six steps this morning from Psalm 51 on what it means to stay clean with God, what it means to walk with God, what it means to practice the behavior of ongoing repentance and confession so that we continue to have intimacy with God in our daily lives. Psalm 51, the setting for Psalm 51 is David has done an egregious sin. I mentioned it earlier, he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had had her husband, Uriah, killed. He had spent some time now covering that up, or at least dealing with it, not dealing with it, until Nathan the prophet comes and confronts him with his sin. This is recorded in 2 Samuel Chapter 11, chapter 12, I would encourage you to get the context for this. And then when Samuel confronts David, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And this is his psalm of repentance. Now, we're only going to go, and I don't know how many verses we actually put in the outline, but we're going to go till we stop, okay? But we're going to start in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in the uh, lost my place in the truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So here's his request. Purge me with hyssop. This is that which was sprinkled on the uh, Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. And I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Oh, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, for I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Father, take the reading of your word and make it real to our minds and our hearts and our lives. Help us to apply these truths following David's example that we may walk in intimacy with you. In your name I pray. Amen. When you have sinned, and you have been confronted of your sin, you've been made aware of your sin, you've prayed the Psalm 139 that Oregon read earlier today, search me, O God, and try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. And God reveals that. And I'm not talking about simply the big stuff. I'm not talking about... The, the, the things that would make headlines or the things that would make church religious paper headlines. I'm talking about the daily aspects of living, the attitude that shows up here, the words that I let slip out there, the, the, the mean-spiritedness that comes out here, the little cheats, the little lies, the little steals that we, we seem to encounter the opportunities for again and again in daily life. When you are confronted with those, then you are to, and point number one is, you are to come clean with God. When Nathan approached David, he gave him an illustration of someone else, someone who had stolen a neighbor's little lamb and killed it and fed it to his guest. And David was all out of proportion with his anger. He stood up and said, no, he'll have to repay him many times what he took away from him about a lamb. And Nathan looks at David and says, you're the man. And when David was confronted, he did not say, well... It's not my fault. Well, it's, it, you know, what about Saul? I'm a better king than Saul was. He didn't do any of that. He said, he owned it. He came clean. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. He didn't make excuses. And he didn't say, well, what about him? Or what about them? Or I'm not the only one. Or it's okay. He owned it. We see this escape from responsibility everywhere, this unwillingness to just own our own faults and our own sin. But I want to make it abundantly clear to you that someone else's sin does not give you license to sin. You hear me? Listen, it's important. Just because, your mothers taught you this, didn't they? My grandmother used to tell me, just because everybody else is doing something doesn't mean you can do it. If everybody jumped off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff too? Just because somebody does something else, excuse me, somebody does wrong, somebody does a sin, and they may be in the opposite corner. You say, well, at least we're not as bad as they are. Wrong. It's God's standard, and we're held accountable to God, and other people's behavior is no excuse for your own. Amen? Does it sound like you're getting scolded this morning? As I was going through this text, I was like, Lord, wow, boy. 
I remember these conversations with my mom and dad when I was a kid. Own your sin. Come clean before God. David said, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, when that comes, what do you do with the sin? What do you do? David says, have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, wash me from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I want you to know that the, the, the next step of after owning it is asking God for forgiveness. You see, that's not typically what we want to do. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God and God showed up in the garden, did they run up to Him and ask for forgiveness or did they hide? What do we want to do? When I become aware by the Holy Spirit's prompting, by the teaching of Scripture, by my spouse's gentle reminders by a friend who calls me out on something that I have done something that's wrong. My first response is not to rush to God and ask for forgiveness. My first response is to seek to cover it up. Sow my own metaphorical fig leaves, if you will. So maybe nobody will notice. I'll just try to do better. But no, we have one place to run when we are tempted. We have one place to run when we sin so that that sin can be dealt with and be made right. And that is to God, the one whom we are seeking intimacy with. You've got to keep that channel of communication open. And so you run to God. He is our refuge and strength. He is our ever-present help in time of trouble. And we need to understand that we can be in trouble from the temptations of our own heart, from the misbehaviors of our own mind, from the rebellion of our own spirit. And our only refuge is God. And so we come to Him and we ask for forgiveness. And we don't ask for forgiveness because we deserve it. We ask for forgiveness because He's a gracious God. Isn't that great? Aren't you glad that we have a God of grace who is filled with tender mercies, whose loving kindness knows no end? We can boldly approach the throne of grace on the basis of the character of God, accompanied by, if you will, to use the image of Hebrews, our advocate, Jesus Christ, who pleads with the Father on our behalf, and the Holy Spirit who lives within us, who makes intercession for us. Oh, this is good news. We come clean with God. We ask God for forgiveness. We do not hide. We don't avoid God. We don't simply determine to do better next time. And that leads us to the third point. We take responsibility for our sin. In this passage of Scripture, Psalm 51, if you go through and you just circle the times where David says, I know, I did, I have, I, I, five times in this passage of Scripture, he owns it. Five times in this, and that is so unlike us nowadays. We always want to blame someone else. If you were offended by what I said, I apologize for your offense. That is not what we're talking about. You do understand that, right? You understand that it's simply saying, I'm guilty. I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. And David knew, as you and I as believers must know, that every sin against anyone is the sin against God. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil or iniquity in your sight. And God knows that. God can justly blame us or judge us. And yes, we were brought forth in iniquity. And yes, we have the sin nature of Adam and Eve. But we know that God delights in truth in the inward being. He teaches us wisdom. Five times, as I said, David owns his sin. And 
We can't just excuse it and say, well, it's just how I was raised, or I just can't help it, or what about them? No, no, no. We take, excuse me, <coughs> we take responsibility. We can't, it's not enough. You know what David could have said? And, and I, I've often thought about this when I read this passage of Scripture. David says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Wash me from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, you know, blot out my transgressions. And then he goes and he identifies that he's sinful from the inside out. He says, I was shapen in, sin, in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. And he could have said at that point, so, so, it's really your fault, God. It's not my fault. It's the way I was born. It's my own nature. It's my own, it, it, it's, you know, you're, you're the one who created me. And so, you know, this is just a, best I can do and David didn't do it because he knew that had he chosen to be obedient God would have given him the power to be obedient and I want you to know that's the promise that you and I have I said that we we can't claim sinless perfection but you know what you can claim you can claim that you are no longer under the authority or the power of sin sin has based on the truth of Romans chapter 6 sin has no power over your life that you don't grant it it has been defeated in your life. And it has been forgiven. It has been applied to Christ on the cross. His death paid the penalty for sin. And you do not. We do not submit ourselves as instruments of unrighteousness. But as instruments of righteousness. And then when you come to Him in repentance and faith. By the way, what does that look like? Every day with Jesus. We praise God. Father, I'm grateful for your sovereignty and your holiness and your majesty and your might. Father, I'm grateful that you are vast beyond knowledge and understanding. And that from the beginning of time, from before the beginning of time, you created time. And from creation, I can see your hand at work in the beauty of creation. They declare to me your glory. I'm in your word and I see how you have been gracious with a stubborn and stiff-necked people. I know how you saved me. I know how you sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the cross. And there, my sin was applied to him. And he paid the penalty for me. And his righteousness is applied to me. And I am a part of your family. And I am blessed in the heavenlies in all spiritual blessings. And I have been chosen. And I have been adopted. And I have been redeemed. And I have been established and sealed with the Spirit of God who has come to take up residence within me. And I am a new creation. And Father, I just exalt you. And yet, I lost my temper. And I smarted off. And I'm still mad at that person. Father, I want you to be glorified in me. But I still do this and don't do that. I speak up when I should be silent. And I'm silent when I should speak up. I go to that place and I'm not supposed to go there. And I know that. And I don't go to that place, and I should be there on a regular basis, and I know that. And I just feel like such a wretch. Oh God, who will deliver me from this body of flesh? I love your law, but I act like I hate it. And I don't know what to do about it. How do I maintain intimacy with you? But thanks be to God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has not only saved me, but has come to take up residence within me. Technically, this Holy, Holy Spirit of God lives within me, and I am a vessel, and I need to be a clean vessel fit for the Master's use. And so, let's get down to specifics. Come clean with God. Ask for forgiveness. Own it. Take responsibility. When I mouthed off, it was a sin. And I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to cleanse me. And he may say, stop. I got you covered on my end. You need to go talk to somebody else. And you have to go to that person. You say, I am so sorry. I was wrong. You understand what it means to ask for forgiveness? Asking for forgiveness doesn't say, it had been a long day and I was up all night and I was grumpy and I, I just didn't feel well and I sure hate I hurt your feelings. That's not asking for forgiveness. Asking for forgiveness is, I was wrong. And I'm sorry that I was wrong. And I ask you to forgive me. And then you come back to your time with God. And it's now it's not what I said. It's that attitude of unforgiveness. or it's that, Let me tell you, it might be that attitude of a lack of trust. And I'm going to get a little personal here for a minute. But some of us Christians are running around like chickens with our head cut off. Folks, God's still in control. If you can't sleep because of what you see on the news, you need to get out of bed and get on your knees and thank God that He's still in control. God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of anxiety. God has not forgotten us. God has not been outvoted. God is God. And we can trust Him with everything that has taken place as long as we put our faith and our dependence upon Him while we are praying for our nation, while we are praying for our, our politicians, while we are praying for people who sit across the aisle from us in every circumstance and situation. You know what's more important than being politically right? What's more important is being right with God and a vehicle for the gospel because the problem with the United States of America is lost people who need to be saved. You can't expect people who aren't saved to act like Christians. I'm sorry, do I sound angry? I'm not angry. Let me tell you what I am. I am anxious for us to be clean with God and right with God. And when everybody else is losing their minds, they look to us and we are calm and steady and even because we're not putting our trust in anything on this world. We're putting our trust in a God who is unfailing. And he's trustworthy. And so we come to God in repentance and we ask him to forgive us. And he makes us go here and he makes us go there. And he searches out the places of our life that we'd rather him not search out. And then we confess and we repent. We take responsibility for our sins. And you know what he does? He cleanses us. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. You know what David did not do when Nathan came to him? David didn't say, well, God's forgiven me, but I sure can't forgive myself. He did not get stuck in some morass of guilt and despondency. He didn't get stuck in all that stuff. He just didn't do it. You know why? Because the same faith that he had in God 
for obedience and guiding in all of his life is the same faith that he had here when God said, he didn't say, God, I hope you'll forgive me. He said, you will forgive me. You will wash me. You will cleanse me. And we need to make sure that we don't get caught in this satanic accusation that says, well, you'll never be good enough and you can't do it and you're not a vessel fit for the Master's use and you'll, you just can't. And, and it leads you down into guilt and it leads you down into wallowing and anxiety and this sense of inability and incompleteness. You are complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember who you are. This is the God who is able to restore the years that the locust has eaten. This is the God who separates us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. This is the God who makes us new. Remember what happened on the cross when the Lord Jesus Christ, because of His love toward us, took the propitiation of God, the justice of a holy God, against that sin and put it on Him. And that time when He was tempted to do that, and He did not, and He was righteous, He took that righteousness and He put it on you, and you are clean as though you've never sinned. Yes, there may be damage, but He's promised His presence through that. Yes, there may be struggles and consequences that you now have to face, but He gives you the power to face those consequences. We accept the cleansing of God. Listen, this is an exciting message. We are thrilled when we become clean with God. We get to request a fresh work of grace. I love David's prayer. I just love what he prays. He prays, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Listen, this is, this is an affirmation of what God does. We accept God's forgiveness and cleansing and we request a fresh work of grace in my life. You guys do know that you are saved by grace through faith, but do, you, do we realize, really realize that we live by grace? We live in grace. We walk not as those who are pursuing some sort of circumcision or holiness to satisfy a holy God so that we're acceptable to Him. He has accepted us in the Beloved, and now we live motivated to please Him. We live motivated to be intimate with Him. We live motivated to glorify Him and exalt Him above the people, before the people, people that need to know Him. And then, this is the exciting part as well. We resolve to used past failures, or you could put past sin, past mistakes, times when we turned our own way for ministry. David's prayer is creating me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now we're in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit has come to indwell us and He will not leave us. We are sealed with the Spirit of God. But Many times when we are living in sin, unconfessing, not as a part of our lives, a regular consistent part, we lose our joy. And he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressions your ways. What you see in this passage of Scripture, and, and, and listen to me, the reason why confession is so important, sin souls the soul, souls, makes dirty, wash me, cleanse me. Sin sears the conscience. Your sin is ever, my sin is ever before me. Sin saps your strength. The, the bones which you have broken need to be healed and there needs to be rejoicing. Sin sours your spirit. Lord, create a right spirit within me. Sin silences your testimony. It's only after I'm right with you that I will make your name known before others. 
That's why it's important that we focus as a habit and a pattern of life of seeking the mercy and the grace of God. Why? Why is this a big deal? It's a big deal because of your own personal intimacy with God and being right and being at peace, life and peace. You remember that. It's important. But it's not just about you. And it's not just about me. We are, as a body, Pendleton Street Baptist Church. We were established by people who were obedient to God 125 years ago. Almost 130 years ago. And throughout that history, none of you were here then, right? We have seen the hand of God protect and keep. We have seen, seen the hand of God discipline and shape. We've seen the hand of God move through and work through. And we've seen that sometimes when it seemed like the hand of God was taken off and then put back on. But I believe this is, this is what has captured my heart in these days. And honestly, it does have to do with location. It does have to do with reconnection and preparation. It does have to do with the expectation of what God would have us to do in the future. Yes, we're on a journey. We're on a journey to glorify God in our lives. Yes, we're on a journey. We're on a journey to make the West End our physical home. But let me tell you, we, we need to be right with God. Vessels cleaned, fit for the Master's use. And I don't want us... To move from the Hilton to some other facility with no fresh moving of God's Spirit. With no fresh empowerment. With no fresh conviction of sin. With no broken spirit and contrite heart that pleases God. With no increase in usefulness. With no increase in fruitfulness. And the danger is that will happen. And we will see it as success simply because we have another place to be in. And that's not the definition of success. The definition of success, quite frankly, is being pleasing to God, being intimate with God. And so we praise Him. And we confess our sins before Him. And we claim His cleansing. And you know what happens? We walk in joy and we live in peace. Because we have a God who we have complete faith in, and he is completely faithful. (sighs) There's so much I don't know, but I know a few things. And one of them is you and I, we need the mercy of God every single day. Amen? And I know that he's worthy of our praise. Has God been so, so good to you? Are you willing that with every breath you will praise him? Father, I want to thank you for the privilege that we have just to be your children. This is tough. And I pray that you will, uh, I don't know, jar us, shake us, move us, work in us, do me, start with me. And the sins that I have become comfortable with, the sins that I have become accustomed to, the sins that I excuse and refuse to own, uh, just, just put them... Right in my face. Put them right in our faces. Make us deal with them. You do whatever is necessary to grasp our attention and to capture our heart.
so that we can be clean, so that we can be filled with the right spirit, so that we can sing of your glory before the nations, so that we can proclaim your goodness with our testimony, so that we can be vessels of honor fit for the master's use, so that lost people will come to know you as Savior and Lord and experience the forgiveness that we've experienced. So that saved and struggling people will be rejuvenated in their faith and refreshed in their spirit. So that we will stand out distinct, not encaptured by or enraptured with the, the, the culture that we live in, but we'll stand in distinction to them as your people who have a home we haven't been to yet, but we're on the way. Make that true of our lives. We love you. In your name I pray. Amen.